Good morning. My name is Pastor Alicia. Welcome to Excel Church and Merry Christmas. Oh my goodness, I am so excited. This is definitely the most wonderful time of the year. And if Christmas is your favorite holiday, go ahead and just drop a Christmas emoji if you would in the comments. I'm so glad you decided to join us today as we complete our Advent series entitled Rediscover Christmas. Somebody say Rediscover Christmas. Yes. And today we're going to be talking about love. Go ahead and drop me a little emoji in the comments, even if you don't know how to do the reactions. I saw last week, some of y'all know how to hit the reaction button and make the hearts come up on YouTube. I didn't even know you could do that. So leave a, a heart emoji or hit the love reaction on YouTube and y'all gonna have to teach me how to do that as well. But I want to start off this week's sermon by telling you a little bit about a story that I recently learned about myself. It's an amazing story and I want to share it with you. So the story goes like this. There were once two old farmers. They're neighbors, but they have a feud that's been running for a few years. They haven't even spoken to each other, each other in that time. The whole thing got started over a cat. Somebody say, over a cat? The cat was a stray, but both of these farmers began feeding the cat and claimed it as their own. From there, everything went downhill. Somebody say downhill. The neighbors quit talking and the grudge escalated to the point that one of them dug a ditch to reroute a spring and make sure it divided their property. Somebody say divided. One day, a carpenter came through the area looking for work. He knocked on the door of one of the farms and the farmer said, well, if he's going to try to divide us up with that ditch, then I might as well finish the job. I don't even want to look at him, he said. So he asked the carpenter to build a fence all the way across the property. A nice, big, tall fence. Any of you got any fences? And I'm not talking about the kind of fences that go around your house, but I'm talking about fences that guard you. The carpenter said, okay, I could do that, but it will take a lot more wood. So the farmer went into town to buy more wood and the carpenter started working with the wood in the shed. I know a carpenter. That farmer came driving back down the dirt road to his home. But when he looked across the field, he didn't see any fence going up. Hmm. Instead of the barrier that he'd wanted, he saw the carpenter had built a bridge across that creek. And there across the bridge, his neighbor came walking toward him with his hands outstretched and a big sheepish grin on his face. His neighbor said, you're a brave man. I didn't think you'd want to hear the sound of my voice again. Can you forgive me? 
Somebody say forgiveness is powerful. Amen. The first farmer was surprised. And as he reached out to shake his neighbor's hand, he found himself saying, I knew that was your cat. Mm. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that a powerful story? The plan was to do one thing, to make that division go further. But when he brought in the carpenter, when he included him in the plan, he built a bridge for him instead. Somebody say, be a build, a bridge builder. Amen. Be a bridge builder. Now that story is by the singer songwriter, David Wilcox. Have any of you ever heard of David Wilcox before? Amen. And he uses it as an introduction to his song called Fearless Love. The song goes on to weave together another narrative about a church protest and a person caught up in it, remembering Jesus's teaching to his disciples to love their neighbors by using the example of carrying a Roman soldier's pack twice the distance required. The chorus goes, Fearless love makes you cross the border. Let me say that again. Fearless love makes you cross the border. Somebody say cross the border. The love that Jesus embodied in our world is indeed fearless love. Somebody say fearless love. Besides simply lacking any fear, the love of Jesus defies and overcomes fear. Today, as we continue our journey through Advent, we are focusing on the love that Jesus brought into our world and our lives. Quick recap. The word Advent means coming or arrival. And the season is marked by expectation, waiting, anticipation, and longing. Advent is not just an extension of Christmas. It is a rediscovery of Christmas. Somebody say rediscover Christmas. It is a rediscovery of Christmas, a season that links the past, present, and future. Advent offers us the opportunity to share in the ancient longing for the coming of the Messiah, to celebrate his birth, and to be alert for his second coming. Advent looks back in celebration at the hope fulfilled in Jesus's coming, while at the same time looking forward in hopeful and eager anticipation to the coming of Christ's kingdom when he returns for his people. During Advent, we actively and hopefully wait for both. And each week, we have been focusing on a different attribute of God represented in the coming of Jesus. Hope, peace, joy, and love.
somebody say love united. As we've journeyed through Advent, we have been looking at different people in the nativity story. We have dug into the experience or process, usually of just one individual or two. But today, I like to take a little different approach. I like to look at all the people in the biblical account of Christ's birth. When we do, we realize that the birth of Christ brings together a wide variety of people across many different divides and contrasts. And if we walk through the story in order, let's start with Zachariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph, the old and the young. Somebody say the old and the young. The prophets and covenants of Israel's past and the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah and the new spiritual future. The separation and death of the past and the restoration and life now present. And then we meet the shepherds and the angels, the beings of earth and of heaven, the physical and the spiritual. And as they head to the stable, there are animals as well as humans, the beings of creation. And here we can look at Matthew's Christmas account and meet the Magi or the wise men. Who were these mysterious visitors from the East? We're not entirely sure, but we know they had followed a star a long distance to find and worship the promised Messiah. Some scholars think they might have been from China. At any rate, whether they are most likely astrologers or some kind of rulers, the Magi are noble and wealthy. And these noble and wealthy men demonstrate how God is bridging even more divides. The Magi are the esteemed opposite to the lowly shepherds in human social structures, as we've talked about in the previous weeks. But importantly, they are Gentiles, not Jews, and their inclusion in Jesus's birth story echoes the radical idea that Christ the Messiah brings salvation and restoration to all people, not just the Jews. The Magi are also holy men of some sort. They seem to belong to more of a mystical tradition than the Jewish leaders structure, but they importantly contrast the spiritual Jewish leaders of the day. You know, there are no Pharisees and Sadducees and spiritual VIPs of the time who were invited to Jesus's birth. Instead, there are these travelers of a different race who receive an audience with King Herod, albeit for sinister intentions, yet who are willing to disrupt their lives with a great journey and humble themselves to worship the baby of a poor, unassuming couple in the countryside. The cast of characters 
that God assembled for the arrival of his son on earth is far from the expectations any of us would have imagined and probably even farther from the expectations of the people of that time who lived and breathed within that culture and its divisions. Somebody say divisions. To us, it may seem like a ragtag bunch. To them, it was downright blasphemous that the Messiah would be so lowly and associated with the full spectrum of unclean humanity and creation. Could Jesus have united any more divisions simply by being born? Hardly. He pretty much covered them all. And in so doing, God revealed several things about his love that I'd like for us to explore today. Number one, Christ is love embodied. Somebody say that with me. Christ is love embodied. Now, the Bible talks about love in many places. God is love and the Bible is his love story for all humanity. From creation, God made people and shared time with them in the garden as companions and children. When sin entered the world, bringing death and brokenness and separation from such a close companionship with God, he continued to work and covenant with humans. Through generations and generations, he worked his plans and promised a Messiah to make a way to restore his relationship with us. Somebody say, restore your relationship with God. That way is Jesus, who is described as the groom and the church as his bride. This relationship with God that he brings us into is a relationship of love. It is a reunion with love itself. John the Apostle eloquently describes the love of God in the fourth chapter of his letter, 1 John. Would you turn there with me? Would you turn with me to 1 John? We're going to look at chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. And they read, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Somebody say God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Somebody say, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Somebody say, love one another. No one has ever seen God, 
But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. John tells us that God is love. God personifies it. Love is his nature and he has shown it to us by sending Jesus. When we come to Jesus, giving him our lives, we are restored to love. We are fulfilled in love. We live in him and he lives in us. We can count on God's love. It won't let us down. It fills us and fuels us. It calls us and enables us to love each other. Somebody say, love each other. And that brings us to our second point. Somebody say, love defines and propels us. Number two, love defines and propels us. Jesus brought this reconnection and restoration to love himself when he entered the world. Near the end of his earthly ministry, as he is gathered with his 12 disciples for their last Passover meal together. He tells them, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. As Jesus teaches his disciples, he wants to make sure that they love like he did. That he loves, that they love like Jesus loves. And here's the most important part. Did you catch that? How will people know that they are followers of Jesus? You've heard me say this before. Will they know by the wonderful uh, t-shirt they have that has the, the cute Christian slogan on it? Will they know by the nice necklace that they have with the cross on it? What does Jesus say? How will people know that they are followers of him? Yeah, by the love they show to other people. You've heard this before. How will people know we are Christians? Somebody say, by our love. Love is what defines us. It marks us and characterizes us, or at least it should. 
Now we know the church hasn't always done so great of a job of this. We as the church body don't always do a great job of this. And let's be honest, it's much easier for us to point the finger at some pretty big wrongs in which we've seen in the church through history from time and time again. And we can probably all think of high profile public Christians or churches within our time in which we've been living who make us cringe with either anger or embarrassment at their actions and how they're not very loving. But we must also look at ourselves too. Of course, none of us is perfect as individuals or as a collective church. Remember, I always say there's no perfect church. And if it is, don't you join it because you'll mess it up because you aren't perfect. None of us are. But somebody say, but each of us can certainly find opportunities in this Christmas season and in our current cultural climate to allow God's love to flow through us and to others. On that note, we move to our third point. Somebody say number three. Love empowers us to cross the borders. Love empowers us to cross the borders. Because we know we are living in some divided times. Amen? Very divided times. I don't know if I can remember living in a time where we haven't been, where we've been this divided. It seems our culture, our nation, our world, our people have multiplied the ways to divide us. It seems the us and the thems have been running very high as of late. It's by no means an excuse, but throughout history, our world has been filled with wars and plunder and oppression. There have always been the weak and the powerful, the haves and the have-nots. There's been too much of us versus them, even since Jesus's day and even further back in history. And sadly, it still is. It's why Jesus's teaching was so radical. It's why God's love is so radical. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44. Jesus didn't only tear down the walls of division at his birth. He continuously reached across the chasm of separation and exclusion. He befriended hated tax collectors and even invited one, Matthew, to follow as one of his 12 disciples. He spoke with the Samaritan woman at the well, which, as you know, <laughs> broke just a couple societal taboos at once. 
First of all, Jesus did not, Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And Jewish men especially did not talk with women like this in public. He told his listeners that if a dreaded Roman soldier forced them to carry his pack for a mile, which the soldiers could do and did do in that day, to carry it two miles instead. You see, one of Jesus's most powerful stories about this kind of unexpected love is in the action story of the Good Samaritan. You all know this story, right? You all know how it goes. There's a traveler that was robbed and beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. And a, a priest came along and crossed the road to avoid that bloody scene. And an assistant priest did practically the same. But finally, a Samaritan came along and saw the man and stopped to help. The Samaritan, as you remember, bandaged the man's wounds, put him on his donkey and delivered him to an inn. And when he got to the inn, he didn't just drop him off there. He paid the innkeeper to take care of the man until the Samaritan could return. You can go back and look at Luke chapter 10 verses 30 through 35 if you've never heard that story before. But this is a good and challenging story for us today. But it was astounding to Jesus's listeners at this time. The Jews hated Samaritans. Their racism against the Samaritans went back centuries from when the kingdom of Israel split. The Samaritans intermarried with foreigners and established their own temple to worship in. The Jews considered them an inferior race with a corrupt religion, and they viewed them with prejudice and great disdain. But this is who Jesus was holding up as an example of loving our neighbor. Jesus was already crossing the divide. He reached across the cultural, spiritual, political, and racial divisions. And today, he calls us to do the same. He was illustrating the kind of love that John later describes in 1 John chapter 4. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. 1 John chapter 4 verses 18 and 19. Jesus' love is fearless love that calls us and enables us to cross the borders, to tear down the barriers, to reach out above the disagreements. The fear that is driven out by love is the fear within ourselves. Love overcomes the fear of the other who may not look like us or sound like us or share the same perspective or experience as us. Maybe reaching across the divide begins right in your family. Maybe in your home or your neighborhood or your workplace 
or your community. Jesus at Christmas and all the time calls us together into his loving presence and invites us to make room for all, whether we think they deserve to be there or not. Tell somebody, make room, make room. In conclusion, there is a humility in love, a willingness to put someone else first. Sometimes love means taking the simple step of building that bridge as a gesture and an invitation. Sometimes it's being willing to listen and to, not to defend. It's always being willing to choose to see someone else, not as other, but as us, equally loved by God, equally welcomed into his presence, equally drawn into and propelled out of his miraculous, divine, all-consuming love. This is God's love. This is the gift of Christ. This is the heart of Christmas. And as we think about that bridge and we think about how it allows us through the bridge of Christ into the presence of God, what a wonderful gift we have to share with the world. Friends, as we rapidly approach Christmas Day and it's coming up on us fast and I'm excited about it. I love Christmas. I invite you and I challenge us all to rediscover Christmas by rediscovering the overwhelming, all-encompassing, all-welcoming love of God. Do y'all get tired of my little challenges every week? Are you actually accepting these challenges? I don't know. Tell me if you're accepting these challenges. And if you are, tell me where you think that you can build bridges this coming week instead of walls. Tell me an area and a way that you think you can show the love of Christ this week to one another. Let me pray for us. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And that prayer is coming directly from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Merry Christmas, y'all. Let's go spread the love of Christ.